Next week, next Tuesday, you'll want to you'll wanna be here. Um, I'll be here, but uh, Brother Tom Drian from London will still be with us, so he'll be, he'll be sharing at Grace and Granite uh, next week. And uh, he knows where we're at in the, in the flow, and so I've given him permission to talk about discipleship or really whatever he wants to, wants to lay on us. And so uh, that'll, be, that'll be a treat, but we're, we're going to cover some, some, another area of discipleship this morning. We've talked about convictions, these, these necessary convictions that we want to have as churchmen, men that are committed to the, to the church, um, whether that is in uh, you know, a preparation to lead it, preparation to be part of it, the church is the sphere in which God is sanctifying believers. You want to see what a, a good layman looks like, um, go back and watch the funeral of uh, Harold Nash. That's what a good layman looks like. Um, and yet these these men that are committed to the church, we have foundational convictions. So now we're talking about how do we how do we share those? How do we perpetuate those those truths? How do we disciple? How do we teach each other to to follow Christ? So that's that's what where we're we're at in the study. We're in um, study two under series one, developing courageous churchmen discipleship. Before we get there, we'll start in Proverbs twenty. This morning, so open your Bibles to Proverbs twenty. Several years ago, after I don't know, maybe twenty-five years, John MacArthur was invited to Liberty Convo. He hadn't been there since the early days when he. Wore those, you know, big giant glasses and had the giant comb over. And you've been to Liberty Convo. It doesn't always start this way, but John gets up. They give the big flowery. This is John MacArthur, and he's this and he's that, and we're so delighted to have him here. And a round of applause. And John, true to form, gets up in the pulpit and puts his head down and says, "Open your Bibles to whatever, John." I Twelve. I'm not sure the the um, the exact passage, and said something to the effect of, um, "If you brought your Bibles, open them to you know John 12, and if you didn't, God have mercy on your sin sick soul." Um, any speaker that's talking about Christ or the church that doesn't say, "Open your Bibles," uh, God have mercy on their sin sick soul. That's this is our only authority. You don't come here, hopefully you don't get out of bed to come and listen to me. <laughs> you come to listen uh, to God's voice, and this is God's voice. And we're working through Proverbs rather than Psalm on the day. Proverbs on the day, which is a little more difficult. It doesn't have a one single theme. It's little components that are broken up. And yet, wisdom, Proverbs is to give us wisdom how to put biblical truth into practice in everyday life. Um, and I would say biblical wisdom is one of the greatest needs of the, of the day. We've, we've lost uh, the, how to think right, um, and Proverbs helps us to, to do that. So here it is, Proverbs 20, verse 1, a series of, of, of proverb, proverbial truths. 
Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but a fool will quarrel. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. A king who sits on the throne of justice despises all evil or disperses all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? You know the answer to that one, don't you? Differing weights and differing measures, both are, in a, uh, are uh, abominable to, to the Lord. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself. If his conduct is pure and right. The hearing of the ear and the seeing of the eye, the Lord has made both of them. Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Bad, bad, says the buyer. And when he goes his way, then he boasts. There is gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge... Or a more precious thing. Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for foreigners. Hold him in pledge. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do uh, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And he will save you. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. Who then, uh, how then can man understand his way? It is a trap for a man to rashly say, It's holy, and afterwards or after the vows to make inquiry. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for truth that is distilled and then applied. 
I thank you how you, you make us think with all of these statements. I pray that even this morning as we've walked through Proverbs 20, there'll be something here that would have piqued our interest, maybe something we don't understand, something that um, we think we do, something that draws us back as we even go about our days this day to think about, um, about these truths, maybe how to put them into practice, maybe something that is, is contrary to these, uh, these truths in our own life, we would, uh, we would reevaluate. Thank you for these brothers. Thank you for the privilege for them to be here, privilege for all of us to be here, to hear your word, to sharpen one another. Stir up the gift of teaching, Lord, in me, in others as we, we share back and forth. Help us, Lord, today um, to grow, to encourage one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Open your Grace and Granted books to page 8. Page 8. So I mentioned in the very first series, uh, Series 1, Study 1, Foundational Convictions. Before we ever start talking about replicating, start talking about discipleship, what it is, and how to do it, we have to have some foundational convictions ourselves. So he starts with us, um, the strength of our own souls, the growth that we have, uh, setting everything rightly. And now we're talking in series two or study two about discipleship. And the purpose of this conviction is to drive home foundational convictions to stand on the, the truth and then, and then pass, that, pass that along. And so... We, we began with talking about what is discipleship. It's not a, it's not a nine-weeks course. It's not uh, something that you begin and end. It's really uh, biblical Christianity. You are a follower of Christ. That begins with, uh, with the work of the Lord and you know, a decision, and then that continues your whole life. You're, you're, you're being taught all things whatsoever Christ Commanded, and that's happening in the church. You're being baptized. Uh, you're making a public profession, being brought uh, into the assembly of other believers after you have become a become a follower. And we said discipleship is not optional. And we talked about the the uh, the obstacles to that. What what makes that difficult? Now uh, we're we're talking about uh, what does it look like in doing it. And so discipleship, relationships often begin and flourish through a variety of circumstances. But they're all guided by four essential elements. Imitation, which we covered last week. Renovation, which we'll cover today. And then cultivation and confirmation. All discipleship is going to come back to these four essential elements. And we talked about imitation, which is just influencing others by the way you live, and by the proactive teaching of truth. So obviously in that, there's a point A and a point B. And spiritual leadership is being able to see where somebody's at, to be able to see where they need to go, and then to be able to chart a course to get them from point A to point B. And that's not always a straight line, is it? Um, you know that even from, from uh, being taught as a child or if you have a child. It, it's, uh, if, if we all did exactly what we were supposed to do every single time, it would be a lot shorter path, but that's not the way that it works out. 
But can you see where, where you're at? Can you see where you need to be? Well, I know in, in big terms, I am not where I want to be, and, and my goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay. Can you see specifically in different areas of your life? Can you evaluate in every area of your life, I am here, and I need to be here, and then I'm working to get from point A to point B. And I would say in general, you, you, you might, but I would also say the way God has designed that process is somebody that's walked farther than you is helping you in that. They're able to see where you're at. They're able to see blind spots that you can't see. They're able to help you develop discernment, which doesn't come, doesn't come instantaneously. And they're also able to help you see where you need to be, where you need to be in certain areas of your, your life. We read in the Proverbs this morning, the strength of, of or the glory of young men is their strength. Um, we, have, we have strength, we have zeal, we have a lot of energy, we, we, have, we have a lot of, 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 um, of ability to, to go for the Lord, but we don't, when we're younger, we don't always have the knowledge that, that an older man has, an older man in the faith. So knowing where you're at, being able to discern where you're at, see where you need to be and chart a course to, to get there. And you do that by, by the way you live and by proactive teaching the, the, the truth. And so we talked about what imitation means, basically saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, and that obviously requires a credible life. Not a perfect life, but a credible life. So today we're talking about uh, really getting to the meat of it, renovation. So you're imitating others in discipleship, others are imitating you, and it's proactive teaching of the truth. It's not just, well, hey, you know, come into my orbit and hopefully you'll pick up something. You're intentional in discipleship. But what are you being intentional at or in? That's what renovation is about. It's about the passionate pursuit of answers. I mean, what, what needs to happen in, in, in your life um, to grow, to, to know uh, the, the ways of the Lord? Well, A, there's a complete overhaul of your, of your reasoning. It's a complete overhaul of your reasoning. And notice the first verse that's listed here is Romans 12, 1. And I would add two. What, what's Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Very familiar verse, right? What's it say? Yeah, sure. Amen. So I hear a presentation, I hear a process, and I hear discernment in that verse, development of discernment. Can you, can you see that? Verse 1, what, what's happening in verse 1? What, 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 what's Paul commanding there in, in verse 1? God commanding through Paul. Present yourselves, right? Your, your, your whole self. 
as a living sacrifice. So I'm, I'm now the Lord's. I died, I ended at the moment I came to Christ. And now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm presenting my whole self to God, my whole life to God. Does it stop there? Okay, I'm just going to lay myself on the altar and that's it. No, then you pick up the next verse, right? So you're offering yourself to God, your, your whole body, soul, and spirit. You're not a dead animal. You're a living sacrifice every day, which obviously there begins in a moment where you offer yourself to the Lord. I'm now yours, Lord. I was once living for myself. I'm now living for you. I'm seeking you. I'm following you. What does that look like? When, when you when you say, Get up from the altar. You are. You do. You don't lay there. You now live. You're a living sacrifice. What, what, is that, what does that living entail? That's, that's verse 2. What's verse 2 say? Okay. You're not being conformed. You're being transformed. So what's that first part imply? There's a constant conforming pressure. Which is why we said on Sunday there's no neutral. So you're... If the Word of God's not coming in, you're not availing yourselves of the graces of God coming to church, allowing the Lord uh, to, uh, to, to transform you, there is a conforming pressure whether you realize it or not. It's happening all around you. You're breathing the earth's toxins, and it's conforming you. It, it's intentionally, just like we talked about on Sunday, the flesh has desires. It has plans. The world has plans, and it's, the plan is to conform you to, to, with satanic thinking. That's the cosmos, the system of thinking that's, that's anti-God. A system of thinking and doing and living that's, that's man-centered, that glorifies man, that, that's human. Um, James talks about wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's, that's from the world, and the wisdom of the world is, is demonic. And I don't, you know, mean you know, scary little shadows coming around. I mean anti-God thinking that, that's, that's trying to conform you, trying to, to change you, trying to cause you to think in, in certain, certain ways. You're not, being, you're not to be conformed to that, which means you're doing what? You're resisting that, right? I mean, if there's something conforming you, and you don't want it to conform you, what, what do you do? You say, oh, please don't conform me. You push back on it. You fight against it. You say, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to develop discernment so that doesn't deceive me the next time. You're, you're pushing back on it. You're, you're not passive. You're, you're in a war. There is an enemy. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm not going to be conformed. But what's the other half? You're not just conformed. You're transformed. You're changed. There's a process of, of change. So you're pressing back on the conforming uh, pressure of the, of the world, and you're being transformed. And how does that passage say you're being transformed? That's right. Which is renovation. Which is why that verse is here. You're being transformed by renovating your mind. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the term renovation? Flipping a house, right? <laughs> I'm going to go in. What, what, uh, when you flip a house or you renovate a house, uh, 
what condition is it normally in whenever you start that process? <laughs> it's usually not very good, is it? And it can get really dusty. You ever renovated a house while you're living in it? Yeah, I use that analogy with, with my, my marriage whenever I came to Christ after, Tracy and I came to Christ after, you know, six to eight years of, of building everything, our marriage and everything else on a worldly foundation. And now it's got to be renovated. Now it's got to be changed. But we're already living in this marriage and we're already living in the house and we've already established patterns in the way we're relating with husband and, and wife and you know, I'm using worldly ways to control my wife and manipulate my, my wife when she and she's using worldly ways to try to get what she wants out of her husband. So she is nagging when I don't do something that she wants me to do, and then I'm doing the you know the hairy man thing. And there's no woman gonna tell me what to do. You don't like it, you just get out the door. I don't care. And then if it got too bad, I just left and went with the buddies. Well, that doesn't work very well in a marriage besides not honoring Christ. And so now you're saved and you go, well, God's got to have a way to fix this problem. It's got to have a way to relate to one another. But we've already established ways to relate. So we're ripping up these boards and knocking down these walls in the house that we've, we have erected. A house that's already crumbled because it wasn't built right to begin with. And there's dust, drywall dust everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. A lot better to start like you're starting, most of you. Um, you're starting, you're, you're laying the foundation right from the, from the ground up. Uh, there'll still be tweaks that need to be made, but that's a lot better to, than, than to renovate it. And here's this concept of renovating your minds. Renovating your life. Renovating your life starts with renovating your, your thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. You know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is your thinking. Obviously, there has to be a transformed heart. There has to be new desires. There has to be an ability to understand. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. We're so we're assuming here, regeneration's happened. You now have the Spirit of God that illuminates the Word. You, you now have a new heart, and, uh, which your desires to, 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 to pursue God. You didn't have those desires before. You, you now have the ability to fight against sin, but then you, you labor at that. You, God's given you the ability, and now you work out that salvation with, with, with fear and, and trembling. And so there's the pursuit of... A renovation, and you're renovating your mind. You're you're being, you're pressing back against the, the 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 conforming pressure of the world. You've offered yourself to God. I'm yours, Lord. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I just know you are the Lord, and my, my everything I have and everything I am is yours. And I'm going to live the rest of my life um, for you. And now you start living. And the minute that you get up from praying, asking the Lord in your heart, the minute that you get up from the first few weeks, months of joy of being forgiven and you've never felt this clean and your conscience doesn't bother you anymore, this is amazing. This grace of God that has transformed me. And then you start walking and you immediately begin to feel a contrary wind in your face, don't you? In your heart... There is peace that passes all understanding. There's joy overflowing. 
But then you begin to walk and you immediately feel the stiff wind. And the stiff wind is from the world and the flesh and the, and the devil. And you're pressing back against that. And the other part of your, your arsenal is you're not just pressing back against it. The strength to press back comes from the renewing of your mind. You're being re- your mind, your thinking is being renovated. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are on this path of I am here and I need to get here and I'm charting a course from point A to point B. I need to be more like Jesus Christ and here's where I am. And Romans 12.2 says the way you go down that path is to renew your mind. You're being transformed from here to here, getting from here to here, that's the transformation, by the renewing of your mind, by renovation. Your thinking is being changed. Your your thinking is being challenged. Um, I once thought this way about myself. I once thought this way about about the purpose of life. I wanted this job, and I wanted this money, and I wanted the white picket fence, and I wanted to retire, but I was 50, and I wanted, you know, uh, 1.3 children. I wanted whatever it is. I wanted a wife this way. I I wanted this. I wanted that. I once thought this way, and now that's being challenged. Is, is, is that what Christ would want for you? Is that what, what really the purpose of life is, is all about? And, and that's being renovated. And see, when, you're, when your thinking is changed, then, then that changes the, the direction of your life. It, it, it tweaks the trajectory of the ship. It's to where before the ship is just in the ocean and it's being blown about by the wind. The conforming pressure of the world is... It's just carrying you along with the, with the, with the currents. And now you're, you're, you're renovating your mind. You're being transformed. There's a goal. Every man in here has the same goal, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Every man in here who's a believer has the same promise. The work that God began in you, He will complete it. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Every believer will be like Jesus Christ because that's what God promised. It'll happen ultimately in glorification and progressively over your Christian life, you will be, you'll be more and more transformed. And where salvation is completely and totally a work of God and a work of grace, sanctification, you and I have work to do, don't we? We have labor. And that labor is renovation. Renewing your mind, and you're being transformed. You're being, being, being made more and more like Christ through the transformation of your, your thinking. What does the last part of that verse say? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, remo- by the renewing of your mind. What's the rest of it say? You're going to develop discernment, which is what you want. You're to prove you're you're, you're going to be you're going to have the ability to see this is what's pleasing to the Lord. That's our goal: live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, and you're going to be able to live that way. And so, in discipleship, you have imitation. What imitation means? Somebody's following you, and that requires a credible life. And then the goal. You're constantly being renovated, but you're also renovating others. You think of discipleship as renovating the thinking of other people. 
It's a complete overhaul of your reasoning. This simplifies discipleship. You're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated. What does that imply? And to teach them to observe all things that Jesus commanded them. You're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated. What does that imply? Okay. Absolutely. Need to renovate my own mind. Okay. Other things besides your thinking, your life, you know, the transfer. Yeah. You don't know what needs to be renovated. That's, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Amen. You're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated. Well, if somebody needs to help you find an area that needs to be renovated, then that, that, that means that we don't always see what we need to renovate, which is why you want somebody who's already went through the renovation process, I mean process, to help them show us. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's definitely a passage that applies there, for sure. What other thoughts you have? You're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated and to teach them to observe all that Jesus commands. Did you say that would be Mark in your life? The one thing you'd want to change is Mark? Cindy's still trying. She is. Okay. That's excellent. I mean, it, did, did everybody hear what he, would, what he was saying? You're trying to figure out what to renovate. And you, you don't need, I mean, you have the blueprint, which is the whole Bible. But you know, it's like, where do I start? What do I renovate in my own life? And what would I help someone else renovate? Where do I start? Just look for the areas of sin. Because sin is going to be tied to lies or bad thinking or unbelief. And so the areas that you're, you're failing in in particular are the areas that, that you, you, you start with. And then you trace back to, to the bad thinking that's leaving, uh, leading to, that, to that, bad, that bad behavior. You're, you're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated. I wrote down, as a discipler, 
you can see the gaps that someone else might not be able to see, and then you help them see it. You help them think biblically about it. And as Clay said, the easiest way, easiest place to start is, is with these areas of, of failures. Ask questions, which is what he also just illustrated, that Mark gave. If there's one thing that you could change about your life, what would it be? Ask questions to see how people think about Christ and truth and ethics and the world and the kingdom and work and sin and marriage. Then help them see what needs to change in their reasoning. What are some pitfalls to that? Ask questions to see how people think. That's great. That's exactly what I was. That's exactly what I was thinking, you know. And you just illustrated that. That's we are behavioral. That's that's the re- rearranging of the, of the behavior, which is the deck chairs, when you know we've got an iceberg, ripping a hole in our hull, and we're sinking, and we don't understand. I'm putting forth all this effort, all this effort, but I've never really nailed the issue. The issue is in the heart. That's going on. I'm a believing a lie. There's a desire that's, that, that's there. Ask questions to see how people think about Christ, truth, ethics, the world, the kingdom, work, sin, marriage. Help them see what needs to change in their reasoning. good. Yeah. I'm thinking like in discipleship, I, I, I think there's a tendency to tell people without asking. Like, well, let me just tell you what to think. But the minute you tell somebody, you didn't engage them in the process where they're asking a question of their own soul. Like, you know, like Ed's saying, you're going to Ephesians 5 and saying, what does, what does that say about, about marriage? Now, you may back up and, and you know, in conversation, when you're trying to discern where someone's at, some areas, soft spots, areas that need to be, need to be renovated, you're listening and you're asking questions. And as a discipler, you're not sitting there making a list of, you know, uh, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. Let me tell you how you're right. I mean, you're trying to figure out 
what their needs are because you love them in Christ and you want to get them from point A to point B. So I was thinking, what are some obstacles to this? Uh, sometimes I don't ask questions. I just want to teach. I just want to instruct. And before I instruct, I, I need to know I might not even be hitting the, hitting the target. So I want to ask questions um, to hear what they're thinking. Yeah. That's good. Yep. And then you're taking them to the scriptures as the as the authority. What are some other obstacles? We're to ask questions to see how people think. And the purpose of that is to see areas of uh, of need. So sometimes we just we want to go start teaching rather than helping them see what the what the need is. What are some other obstacles? Okay, so you're talking about on the the disciple e, yeah, it doesn't really want to be open opened up to that. We better be a good listener. Amen. Yeah. Oh, you were saying amen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is not a biblical proverb, but it's still true. My mother said, you know. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? Should be a good listener. We're not good listeners at times because we like to hear ourselves talk. Um, so you're asking questions in the process. What are some, uh, some areas of flawed thinking that, that need change? God, Christ, sin, ministry, the, the ministry of the, of the Spirit. What are some common areas of flawed thinking that need changed? What are some areas that need to be renovated? If there is a, a world conforming you, then there are common ideas from the world that we imbibe, that we take in, soaks into our bones, and we don't even realize it. What are some of those that you recognize, you're able to recognize about, about God? What... What ideas do people have about God that, that, that are common that need to be renovated? God's goal is to make me happy. God's goal is to make me happy. That's, that's the purpose. 
How many times I've sat on a couch or had someone sit on the couch and said, I know the Bible says this, but God would not want me to be unhappy. Therefore, everything the Bible just says out the window. That God only sees certain areas. Yeah. There are some common ways that the world thinks about God that you see other people pick up, you've picked up, that, that needs to be renovated, that's unbiblical. Yes. Okay. God's control, God's sovereignty. He just kind of wound this thing up and spun it out there in the world, and he's just managing the big things. But, but the little things in life, that's all up to you. It'll be tragic. Okay. God never punishes. All right. What's that? That God only punishes. Yeah. How is our thinking shaped that way? How does our thinking, because you're, you're, you're nailing another aspect that's the completely contrary. And I'm, I'm just thinking, how does a person come to the conclusion that God's, you know, omnibenevolent in the sense that he always, he never, he never judges, never punishes, and you're bringing up, you know, God's got a baseball bat ready to whack you at, you know, at, at every minute. How do we get these? We get these lopsided thinking. What else? What are some other th- things about God that need to be renovated? It does. It does. Amen. Amen. I wrote down, you know, the... God helps those who help themselves. You know, that's a human axiom. Twisting God or thinking God is too human or thinking God is too transcendent. He can't be known. My point is there's a lot of things that people think about God and a lot of it's wrong. Where does it come from? This conforming pressure of the world. How do you fix that? You go to the book because God tells us exactly who he is and he's in perfect harmony and balance here. This is his revelation. The Bible rightly interprets reality. It rightly interprets God. There is enough, the Bible says, about God in creation 
to give you some general information. He's creator, he's big, he's amazing, he's beyond us. He can make cool stuff, things that are beyond our abilities, but as our brother just said, our sin natures then take that and, and develop our own imaginations about God when now you have special revelation, specific revelation. The Bible, which then interprets this creator for us rightly. It's his revelation from beginning to end. The main character in the Bible is God. It's not Abraham or Joseph fleeing from immorality or a story about Paul in the book of Acts. God is the main character in the Bible. All of those people in the Bible are there, of course, to teach you some things about human nature and how the plan unfolded, but they're all there. They're stage players to teach you about the one who is writing the drama. God, he he wants to reveal something about himself in this story about Abraham. He wants to reveal something about himself that you would not have known apart from revelation and that you wouldn't naturally come to that conclusion apart from, from from, from the truth. What about Christ? He mentioned some of these. I wrote he's a need meter. He's a life fixer, more behavioral. There are some areas of thinking about Christ's sin ministry, the ministry of the Spirit. For sin, I wrote down, you know, it's action only. We don't think it's as bad as it is. It's more external. Ministry. I wrote down man-centered, lacking the church is central. We can go to a number of things. I mean, there's not really, I I don't want to say there's not right or wrong answers here, but there's just a long list. Me and, me and Jesus. God's going to give me a, you know, my big hairy idea. God's going to give me my big dream and big vision, and I'm supposed to take that to God and ask Him to enlarge my coasts. And then I'm going to go out there and do that because I got this, this vision from, from God to do it. That's, that's Christianized demonic thinking. <laughs> Worldly wisdom. Ministry of the Spirit. Bad thinking in ministry of the Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, the verse that just jettisoned all of that stuff for me was the fruit of the spirit is self-control. I'm more in control of my faculties when I'm when the spirit is bearing his fruit in my life, not less. And if you just stand back and look and forget all of the things that are being said, the guy gyrating on the floor or speaking in, in ways that he can't understand and nobody else, that's not, that's not self-control. That's, that's not being in control of your faculties. That's being out of control of your faculties, and that's chaos. And God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order and otherwise. So, I mean, just from a, a practical standpoint. Mysticism. Um, we have it in our own background, independent Baptist life. Um, we blame God for things. <laughs> uh, well, God spoke to me and led me to do this or that. Well, how can somebody argue with that, which is the whole point? I can't argue with you that God told you to do something. 
unless it's specifically contrary to the word, so it's normally in these, in these decisional areas of life. Um, what are some other thoughts? You're looking for areas of flawed thinking that need changed, and here's just a list of some common ones when you're thinking about how to disciple someone, yeah. God gave me this verse. Yeah, yeah, that's an error of thinking. I mean, it can be. I mean, it depends on what they mean by that, which is like you're going back to now you're asking the questions, and you'll run into this in discipleship. You're asking a question, and you hear someone say something like that, and they'll base something that's unwise on this, this experience. I was reading my Bible, and God gave me this verse. Therefore... I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and God has ordained this and blessed this and given me this direction. And you're going, that's a train wreck. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bad. And a discipler is now going to pull that apart. And you're not going to be able to say to them, no, that's a train wreck. That's bad. Because then they're going, no, 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 no. God gave me this verse. It's based on the Bible. It's the authority of Scripture, and God's behind that. So you've got to help them you know, pull that apart by asking, you know, asking questions. Sometimes it's confrontation. Remember a young lady um, that was at Liberty. This is 25 years ago. Um, and uh, she believed that God had called her to preach. And she was already a youth minister in a church. And when I walked her through 1 Timothy 2, suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, and just talk through, you know, what are some unbiblical applications of that? Well, women can't say anything. They can't do anything. It's not what it's saying. It's talking about you can't be an official elder, you know, in, in the church. And these are limited. This is a limited role. She took me to an experience that she had with... Uh, with another passage in, in, Timothy, in Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. And that was her verse. I was, I was wrestling with this. Somebody confronted me with this passage before, and I went to God and I prayed about it, and the Lord took my mind to that verse and said to me, don't ever let anyone doubt what I've called you to do. Let no man despise your, your, your youth. And so... Basically, at that point, no matter what you say, no matter what this scripture says, here's the ruling authority in her life. And where did that authority come from? An experience that she had, of what she thought she had in, in, in prayer. How can I say definitively what she thought she had? Because it's contradictory to scripture. And not only that, this passage that she was using was taken out of context. And... Sometimes you'll be successful in helping someone renovate their thinking there. But that obviously takes a credible life yourself. That, that takes asking questions. That takes patience. That takes a relationship. That takes care. You know, if I'm just dismissive and say, you know, God had called you to preach, woman, what's wrong with you? 
well, I have no opportunity even to speak into, in, into her life. And that's the hard part, you know, of, of discipleship that, that, that's there. And it may challenge you. I mean, they may give you an answer and you go, well, I'll do with that. <laughs> I don't really know how to answer that. And so then that drives you back into the scriptures. Well, it, you may say, well, wow, I never thought about that verse. What does that verse, let, let nobody despise your youth, mean? And then you go back and study that and you realize that that's not the emphasis. But be an example. You know, that, that's, that's how you overcome your limitation of youthfulness. Like people are going to look at you as a young person because you are young. So how do you keep people from stumbling over your youthfulness? You are such an example of a mature man, or in this case a mature woman, that you, nobody even thinks about how young you are because Christ is, you know, is coming out of you. That has nothing to do with whether God's called you to preach or, or not. And um, so help them develop new convictions and learn how to reason from Scripture. You're helping them develop new convictions. And those new convictions aren't, I mean, they may be yours, but your job is to help them learn how to reason from the Scriptures to develop those convictions on their own. It's another danger of, of, of discipleship. They will pick up your convictions. If you are in a discipleship relationship with somebody, you're the older, they're the younger, you're the Paul, they're the Timothy, they're going to naturally pick up your convictions. They're going to want to pick up your convictions. And some of those convictions might not be biblical or there might be some flaws in those. So have a credible life and, and, and be careful what, what you imitate to them. Make sure that your convictions are not preferential, but they're, they're biblical, because you don't want to make them twice the sons of hell that you are. And grow in discernment yourself. Help them grow in discernment. And help them be able to identify the lies they're believing. That's what Clay was saying. We're to teach, which is what Ed was saying. You Take them to the Scriptures. We're, we're not looking to opinionize or philosophize, or else we'll violate... 1 Corinthians 2.5, where Paul warns us not to have people's faith rest on the wisdom of men. Take them to the Bible, nail them to it, be specific, and be confrontational with the truth. We're to instruct them with propositional truth from the Word of God so that the mind of God is implanted into the disciples' thinking. That's what, you, that's what renew your mind means. And then we're to do that in a Galatians 6-1 way. We're to restore and set people's thinking back in a place for godly living. There's another area where you say Galatians 6-1 and 2. If a brother's overtaken in a fault, crouching tiger in the weeds has pounced on them, and they're laying there in the, you know, in the field bleeding. And you're going to patch them back up and make them useful again to the church in, in their, in their, in their own, own lives. You're, you're aiming here at their thinking that needs to be restored as well. Not just the behavior that they fell into. How did they get there? And you're doing it in a considering yourself, lest you also be tempted in a humble way. Final thought? Let's pray. Thank you for challenging us this morning, Lord, in your truth. Thank you for the extra time of fellowship. 
I pray that you will help us renovate our minds through the truth. Show us areas that need to be changed, not to walk around in fear. Uh, You are God. You have began a work in us. You're doing that work even in the midst of our, our thinking that needs renovated. You will not let us go. You have laid hold of us. You have promised to take us through this process. Help us to yield to that process, Lord. It's not a tightrope where we're going to fall off one side or the other. We are yours and you are doing this. So let's help us to trust you and bless us even today as we go in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.